Hello, and welcome to episode two of What You May Have Miffed. I hope you are all well and that you enjoyed our first venture into mythology last week with the Norse creation. There is no particular order in which to listen to these podcasts, so if this is the first episode you are listening to, do not fret. I am not following a linear path in the timeline of these myths and legends, more of a wibbly-wobbly route, so you can listen to these episodes in whatever order you see fit. If you have any questions or comments regarding any of the myths and legends featured in these podcasts, feel free to email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at at MythPodcast. This week, we are sailing over the Atlantic, away from last week's Scandinavian creation story, to Central America, and one of the youngest and short-lived civilizations in the game. So young, in fact, that Oxford University in England is several hundred years older than they were when their empire began. The Aztecs. I shall be as brief as I can in giving you a short history of who the Aztecs were, so for those of you who are well up in your knowledge of these people, feel free to let your mind wander whilst I waffle. The Aztecs were a Central American culture that thrived in the Mesoamerican region, essentially Mexico, from around 1250 to the early 1500s after the fall of the Olmec and Maya civilizations. It wasn't until 1325 that they built their own opulent capital city, Tenochtitlan, a city that has its own legendary founding. So, I think that it is only right that I tell you this short myth, if for no reason other than to whet your appetite for what is to come. Get ready, then, for mini-myth number one in this series. It had been prophesied that the wandering tribes of Mesoamerica would find the place to build their great city in a place marked by an eagle devouring a snake whilst perched atop a prickly pear cactus. Awfully specific, if you ask me, but there we go. Anyway, a vision came to the leader of the Mexica people, a fellow called Tenoch. He was shown the devouring eagle and, at once, went off in search of the place it sat, guided by one of their gods, Huitzilopochtli, the god of sun, sacrifice and war. It was an arduous journey to find the place, but eventually Huitzilopochtli led the Mexica people to a swampy island situated in the Lake Texcoco. Lo and behold, when the Mexica landed on the island, they found, to their great astonishment, a golden eagle sat atop a prickety pear cactus, gorging happily on a rattlesnake. Yummy! This, then, was where the Mexica would build their city, and by Jove did they build! Before long, their city, which they christened Tenochtitlan, was the most powerful city in Mesoamerica and one of the largest cities in the world. Tenochtitlan was essentially a new world Venice. Canals were built so that access to the whole city could be made at ease, either in canoes or on foot. There were exquisite temples and palaces, and in the very centre, where they had found the eagle, they built a great pyramid as a temple to Huitzilopochtli, the god that led them to the island, and Tlaloc, the god of rain and fertility. A small side note here. The flag of present-day Mexico has, in its centre, the image of the eagle, 
rattlesnake and prickly pear cactus, that symbol of the divine signpost that led the Aztecs to build their great city of Tenochtitlan. You can see the appeal. Countries heralding to their mythological founding is something that we will see again throughout this series. As you have probably figured out, one of the most important aspects of Aztec life was the importance placed on religion. The pantheon of gods in Aztec mythology was massive, hundreds upon hundreds of gods, and all gods of a multitude of elements. Fertility, war, sun, fire, ice, sacrifice, earth, maize, snakes, agriculture, sexual misdeeds, fishing, physical deformities, animals, contamination, and mat-makers. There are so many Aztec gods that they rival that of the ancient Greek pantheon, from Quetzalcoatl to Tezcatlipoca to Ometacutli to Tonatui. The list is extensive, and the names are progressively more complex to enunciate. There were gods of the underworld, the sun, the wind, of medicine, of war, of plague, of sex, of creation. If you want a god of some aspect or other, the Aztecs are your people. From the founding of Tenochtitlan in 1325, the Aztec culture flourished, worshipping their gods, forming an empire and killing lots of people both in battle and as human sacrifices. Ugh! Human sacrifices, I hear you say? How barbaric! Well, yes, but any less barbaric than the Romans and their Colosseum, or the Egyptian and Chinese practice of burying slaves alongside their deceased pharaohs and kings? It may seem peculiar to think of it, but many Aztecs went to the sacrificial altar willingly, prepared to give their heart, quite literally, to Huitzilopochtli. Giving yourself to Huitzilopochtli meant a surefire way of having an incredibly blessed afterlife in the army of the sun god. For around 200 years, the Aztec Empire dominated the Mesoamerican scene until, inevitably, one of the European nations found their way over to them. This time, it was the Spanish. Throughout history, we see the negative effect the European nations had on countries that they colonised. The British in India, the Portuguese in Brazil, and many of the European countries in Africa. The Spanish conquest of the Aztecs was no different, and when the conquistadors arrived in Mesoamerica in 1519, it signalled the beginning of the end for the Aztecs. Not only did the Spanish have more advanced weaponry than the Aztecs, but they also brought with them, not intentionally, I presume, diseases such as mumps, measles and smallpox. Not having built up an immunity to these diseases, they ran rampant through the Aztec population, the most lethal of which, smallpox, decimated around 40% of the population in little over a year. How lovely of us Europeans to do that to them. By 1521, the damage the Spanish had done was irreparable and the Aztec Empire was finished, and Mexico was now to be known as Nueva España, New Spain. Those who conquer have the arrogant habit of naming places after their homeland. Just look at the United States and all the places named after locations in Great Britain. New York, New England, Birmingham, Boston, Hull. I could go on, but I won't. So, there we have a very brief myth and an even briefer history of the Aztecs in Mesoamerica. And now, let us move on to the main event of this podcast, the legend that is to be the subject of the next 20 minutes or so. 
By trade, I am a musician, and that's one of the reasons that today's myth jumped out at me and one that I chose to share with you. Music is something that appears in almost every culture on earth, from African tribes and their rhythmic songs to the Aboriginal Australians and the didgeridoo, from the Tibetan monks and their throat singing to the Royal Albert Hall and the London Symphony. Music is everywhere, and everyone, I am going to make an assumption here, enjoys it. At the moment, there is more music in the world than there ever has been in the widest possible range of genres, rock and classical and romantic and pop and hip-hop and R and B and goth and country and rap and baroque, and I haven't even scratched the surface with this list. But here's the question. Where does music come from? Well, in answer to this question, I have turned, as you knew I would, to the Aztecs and their legend of how music came to be. How Music Came to the World One day, on a wet, wild and windy plain, two gods met. The first was Tezcatlipoca, the great god of the sky. The second was Quetzalcoatl, the god of the wind, and thus the reason the plain was, at that moment, an unpleasant place to stand. These two gods were both very powerful in their own right. Indeed, they were two of the most powerful gods in the entire pantheon of Aztec gods, and we've already seen that there are quite a few of them. The relationship between Tezcatlipoca and Quetzalcoatl was fractious at best. Granted, they did occasionally get along with each other, especially when mutual gain was involved, but most of the time they did not get on regularly fighting with each other and exchanging rude names. This time, however, they were meeting as Tezcatlipoca required Quetzalcoatl's help with a matter he deemed incredibly important. Tezcatlipoca was the first to arrive on this high plain, and he stood there impatiently, blown around like a rag doll in the pestilential gale the wind god was producing. At last, Quetzalcoatl arrived, and Tezcatlipoca spoke. Where have you been, you great lumbering buffoon? I told you this was important. Well, Quetzalcoatl replied, you know this is my busiest time of year. Hurricanes aren't easy to conjure, and I've got four of them blowing around as we speak. I know. I've been stood in one for the last half an hour, you blustering dingbat. You want my help, so I suggest you stop the name-calling, said Quetzalcoatl, adding under his breath, Obstinate cloud monkey. Shut your mouth, said Tetcatlipoca. That's it, I'm off. Find someone else to help you, retorted Quetzalcoatl, and he turned to leave. No, cried the sky god. Shut your mouth and listen. What do you hear? Quetzalcoatl turned back round and, humouring him, closed his mouth and opened his ears. That's when he heard... Nothing, Tetzcatlipoca said. You're right, replied Quetzalcoatl. The only sound was that of the wind, which Quetzalcoatl stopped at that moment, just to make sure that Tetzcatlipoca wasn't pulling his leg. There was definitely no noise. Right, said the sky god. There's no one singing, no one playing instruments, no birds singing, and there's no one dancing because there's no music. 
The only thing the people hear is you blowing yourself hoarse every day. They're absolutely miserable and in desperate need of something to cheer them up. The world needs music. Well, why have you come to me? As you so kindly said, all I do is make wind. Not, not music. To be honest with you, I'm not actually sure what music is, said Quetzalcoatl meekly. It's called music, you ugly fart spanner, and now is the perfect opportunity for you to not only learn how delightful it is, but also how much happier it would make this dreary lot down here if they had it as well. But where does one find this music thing? asked the wind god, ignoring the insult. Ah, said the sky god, the sun that greedy so-and-so has all the music up in his palace he's got singers and instrumentalists up there all day every day making him as happy as larry who's larry ah, it's just a saying you dimbo anyway the sun refuses to share any of his music with the people down here what he won't share it with anyone that lily-livered git i always knew he was a nasty piece of work quetzalcoatl was livid Seeing the wind god this angry was just what Tetzcatlipoca wanted. He smiled. I know, so I thought if we worked together, we could get that arrogant plumsack to give us music so that we could give it to the people. What say you, old buddy? Tetzcatlipoca had barely finished when Quetzalcoatl shouted, Heavens, yes! And without another word, he hurled himself into the sky. Over the plains, over the mountains... And over the sea he searched, looking for the solitary beach, the one way he knew how to get to the palace where the sun kept his court. At long last he found the beach, a quiet place where three of the sun's servants lay, soaking in the warmth emanating from their celestial master. Quetzalcoatl called out to them as he landed on the hot sand, Oi, cown and conch, water woman, water monster, come here! I have need of you. Reluctantly they rose from their sunbeds and sauntered over to the wind god. It was their day off, after all. Come on, hurry up. I need to visit your master on urgent business. Make me a bridge as fast as you can. Obediently, the three servants joined hands, and at once they started to grow. They grew so tall that they were able to entwine their bodies together and form an immensely long rope ladder that reached all the way into the heavens. Quetzalcoatl took a deep breath, not an uncommon action for the wind god, and started to climb up, up, and even further up. After a while, he began to wonder just how high up this ladder would take him, and he looked down. The earth was but a pinprick far, far below him. He clenched. Yes, he could fly, but he only ever flew inside Earth's atmosphere. This was a new level entirely, both metaphorically and literally. The wind god was not one to give up easily, and so, his anger at the sun still raging inside him, he continued his tortuous climb. At long, long last, he reached the palace of the sun, and what a glorious place it was! For a moment, Quetzalcoatl stood in astonishment at the sight before him. He even forgot to breathe, something that had never happened before. Towers of gold stood shimmering above a great, tiered pyramid, atop which an ethereal light burned brilliantly. It was as he stood there, transfixed by the light, 
that Quetzalcoatl heard it. A sound of such breathtaking beauty that for the second time in under a minute he found himself quite unable to draw breath. He knew that it was not the wind that was making the sound as he had not blown any. It must be that music thing that Tedscutley Poker had been telling him about. He wasn't wrong. The people of the world would be delighted to have their ears listening to that. But how was he to get it to them? Quetzalcoatl shook his head in an attempt to clear his mind of the dazzling light and music and his cheeks of the tears that had run down them. He opened his eyes and took another look. Between himself and the palace was a vast maze of streets with immensely high walls. This is going to be tricky, he thought. Quetzalcoatl wasn't very good with mazes. But here goes nothing. And, rather bravely I think he'll agree, he walked straight into the warren of streets. Before long, however, he was inevitably lost. He was travelling round and round in circles and getting no nearer the palace. He was on the cusp of giving up when an idea hit him, quite literally, in the ear. He could still hear the wonderful music and, following its sound, he found his way out and into an exquisite courtyard. It was a beautiful place, filled with laughter, joy, love and, most importantly, music. Musicians dressed in bright colours were saturating their surroundings with dazzling sounds. There were flute players garbed in brightest yellow, minstrels dressed in sharpest blue, lullaby singers in purest white, and singers of love songs in deepest red. In the very centre of the courtyard stood the sun himself, looking resplendent in clothes of richest gold and looking immensely pleased that only he had all these wonderful musicians to himself. Suddenly he spotted Quetzalcoatl and shouted, Stop! Stop playing! And the musicians halted their recitations at once. It's that pestiferous wind, moron! Don't say a word to him or he will drag you back to that sad, silent world of his. Quetzalcoatl ignored the sun and instead opened his arms and his wings as if to embrace the musicians, calling, Wonderful musicians, come back with me to earth and bring the people the joy of your music. The musicians remained silent. Quetzalcoatl cried out again, Musicians, singers, I, the god of the wind, along with the lord of the sky, command you to come with me. Still, the musicians remained still and silent. As we have already seen, Quetzalcoatl has quite a temper, and being ignored by servants of the sun, tipped his rage over the edge. With an explosion like that of a thousand hurricanes bursting at once, Quetzalcoatl erupted. Lightning flashed across the sky in great sheets. Thunder rumbled terribly through the air, and dark clouds rolled over the sun's palace, shrouding it in darkness. The wind god bellowed the loudest bellow that was ever heard, and the sun cowered, becoming nothing more than a pitiful flickering flame. As one, the musicians abandoned their sun master and ran to Quetzalcoatl, huddling terrified in his arms. 
The moment they were in his safe embrace, Quetzalcoatl ceased his roaring, and peace returned. Filled with an immense happiness, Quetzalcoatl turned back to the labyrinth and flew through it as easily as one walks through a doorway. When he reached the top of the rope ladder, he made sure he had a tight grip on the precious musicians, and instead of climbing down rung by rung, he spread his wings and dived. The fear from earlier had evaporated completely in his joy at retrieving the musicians from the sun's palace. As Quetzalcoatl dived, something incredible began to happen on Earth, and the closer to the surface he got, the more tangible that something incredible became. Fruit plants began to ripen and produce never-before-seen quantities of succulent fruit. Flowers started to bloom more magnificent and beautiful colours than ever before, and a deep sense of relief was breathed out by all the people. It was as if the world was waking from a long and deep slumber. When Quetzalcoatl landed on the ground, he placed the musicians gently down in front of him, letting them take in the strange new surroundings they found themselves in. At first, they were scared. What were they to do in this strange and silent land? Silence was something that the musicians had never experienced before, and they didn't like it. Therefore, they did the only thing that they could think of. They started to play their music, and such music it was. It filled the air, and Quetzalcoatl blew a gentle breeze so that the beautiful sound of the musicians could be heard everywhere. It rustled through the forests, rippled over the waters, and whistled across the deserts. The people, hearing this new and delightful sound, began to dance, and before long were playing music of their own. The birds, who had never before made a tweet, began singing in a thousand different voices. The insects added their chirrups and chitters to the cacophony. Wolves howled, frogs croaked, lions roared, horses neighed, cows mooed, sheep bleated, dogs barked, and cats meowed. All day and all night the songs of the people and animals rang out around the world. Quetzalcoatl was happy, as was Tetzcatlipoca, who came up to the wind god. Well... Credit where credit is due, my friend. You did a cracking job getting those musicians down here. Thanks very much. It wasn't that hard, actually. They took one look at me and knew I would be a much better master than the sun, Quetzalcoatl replied smugly. Tezcatlipoca raised his eyebrows. Really? he said, failing to keep the smirk off his face. From what I heard, you had a right tantrum when you didn't get your way. "'What? Who told you that?' Quetzalcoatl retorted angrily. "'Oh, no one. I just hear things, you know. Rumours on the wind.' And with that, Tetzcatlipoca vanished, leaving a seething Quetzalcoatl standing there, shaking in rage. "'Why, that crusty botch of nature! One of these days I'll get him! I'll show him who's boss, the slimy snot-bomb!' "'Well, I guess some things never change.' And now you know how the world came to have music in it. I hope you can see the appeal of that particular myth to me as a musician, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. 
I will admit that I do not know anything near the same amount of information about the Aztecs as I do the Greeks or the Romans, but reading their myths and legends does inspire a yearning to learn more about their fascinating culture. The plus side of just beginning my journey into exploring Aztec mythology is discovering fantastically imaginative legends such as the one I have just recited to you. Over the course of these episodes, I think it's inevitable that I will say again, here is a myth I stumbled upon whilst reading such and such a book. There are many mythologies from around the world that I have yet to explore, many of which are completely new to me and which I'm very much looking forward to sharing with you. Several episodes later in this series are such examples of that, so I hope you will join me for them. If you have any questions regarding material in the episodes, or indeed anything myths or legend centred, then please feel free to drop me an email at themythspodcast at gmail.com, or tweet me at at mythedpodcast. For now though, I leave you hopefully anticipating next week's episode, where we venture back east and to the Mediterranean, and a country that resembles an item of clothing.